Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreau. I'm Sally Gentry. And we are so grateful to you for being part of our life-saving team, and we appreciate you listening to the Gifted Life. We try to bring these great interviews on here so that we can all learn more. Today, listen to this. As part of his healing journey, a donor dad has penned a book. It's a pretty powerful book, and you can feel that emotion. Matt Dad joins us today. And we're going to talk about what is personality. Personality. Yeah, there you go. We're going to have to talk, Lori. <laughs> you have to talk a lot with me, right? <laughs> All right, that and more coming up on The Gifted Life, guys. Our goal is to get you sharing these conversations so that we can all have these healthy conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. That's why we try to make it as easy as possible to find us. Yes, find us, rate us, subscribe. You can find us easily now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcast apps. And, of course, now you can find us on thegiftedlife.org, thegiftedlife.org. I like that. Cool. All right. You can also find us on social media. We're pretty active here in Louisiana on Facebook, Donate Life Louisiana, Twitter, Instagram. We're at Donate Life LA. And don't forget, you can give us a call. 504-648-3477. We look forward to hearing from you. It's that easy. I love it, guys. You can be a part of this life-saving team. We want you on our team. So join us today. Lots to get to, as you heard. Let's do it. Here on The Gifted Life, we are so pleased that donor dad, Eric Gregory, has joined us. And as I'm prepping for this interview, I learn how closely tied he is to a lot of the Lopa family, which is is pretty neat. Lori, I was fortunate enough to be able to read Eric's book, All My Tomorrows. One of our colleagues, who Eric knows well, Libby Harrison, works across the hall from me. And Mm -hmm. she, she approached me one day and she said, Joey, you have got to read this book. Mm -hmm. She knows, of course, you know, I've been in donation for 16 years and I love reading his stories about donation. It was by far the best donation story or book that I I had read for a number of reasons. One, he did such a great job with, uh, you know, capturing the emotion and bringing you in and you can visualize everything as it was happening and, and, and bringing everyone else's stories around and how they worked together you know, for this one huge story. And second, how detailed and accurate it was about the process. And it's many times I became emotional because it brings me back, of course, you know, working so closely with families. And I can picture some brought me back to some of the times that I was intimately involved. So uh, great story. And really happy to have you on, Eric. It's a great review, huh, Eric? Let's yeah. add that to the book list. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, gosh. And then we, we learned that, that Sally has ties here, too. That takes us kind of to the beginning. Yeah, it was my honor to, I think, get the first um, recipient letter that we were able to forward right. to you and your family. And then it kind of went from there. And I think you got to meet all the recipients at this point. We had not had a chance to meet them all we at least established contact we met four Mm -hmm. of the uh, of the five organ recipients 
those and, and we've become very close to uh to three of them um close personal friends uh people that uh we consider family wow. with, with one That's another right. and and those lives were saved uh because of your son 19 year old chris gregory was a freshman at loyola in new orleans louisiana he said he wanted to be an organ donor and so it really starts with this amazing young hero, your son, right? He did. You know, we had we'd been on vacation just a week before. And we, this is, you're going to 2008. And so we were on vacation um, all together. And uh, somehow it, it, after dinner, the conversation turned to uh, driver's licenses and uh, organ donation. And Chris said, of course, I'm an organ donor. I mean, why wouldn't I be? Mm. And the thing you got to know about Chris is he, he took care of himself. He was in good shape. He, he, liked to, he liked to go to the gym. He watched what he ate. But he was also very popular because he was uh, a compassionate kid. He, uh, at 19 years of age, he, he was generous. He, he was loyal to his friends. He loved his family, loved school. You know, loved going to church. He, he, he just, he, he was an all-around solid individual, somebody I'm very proud to uh, to say I raised. And he was very popular. Like I said, he was, he was very popular, um, a very friendly guy. Um, it, he, uh, you know, when he was a senior in high school, he would, uh, he would go about 10, 15 miles out of his way to check up on his grandfather, oh. who was at home hospice. And it was not at all unusual for uh, for my wife Grace to get a phone call from Chris, you know, and he'd say, "Hey, I'm over, I'm over at Grandpa's house, and uh, <laughs> this caregiver's not working out too good. Uh, like, yeah. He might want to call the agency, and uh, I'm telling you, he's not. You no, know, this isn't this isn't going to work out. But that's the kind of guy he was. He was very very generous, very giving individual. So the fact that he was a donor, uh, registered as a donor, did not did not uh, surprise anybody in the least. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was met with some approval that evening, but uh, it wasn't surprising yeah. that, uh, that he, you know, said he wanted to be a donor if it ever came to it. And then a week later is when? It wasn't even a week. That mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, he, went back, he and his brother Colin went back to New Orleans on the Saturday before, uh, before Easter. We went back to Maryland. My wife and I went back to Maryland where we lived at the time. And um, that was uh, Saturday, you know. And um, I had put three $20 bills in his shirt and threw my arms around him. Mm. And I said, I love you. And he goes, I love you too, Pop. You know, and that was, that was the last thing I ever heard him say. Mm. A couple days later, it was Tuesday morning then, about 5 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. And you know that feeling you get mm. when you when the phone rings in the middle of the night. It's never yeah. anything good. And um, it was Colin. It was uh, Chris's brother on the phone. And uh, Colin was telling us that Chris had been taken to the hospital. They didn't know what was wrong with him. And uh, so uh, Grace got a hold of the doctor at the ER, and uh, she got a little bit of information from him, but not much. They were just running tests. So we got up, got dressed bought the plane tickets and flew to New Orleans. And, uh, you know, we got to Tulane University Medical Center, and uh, he just looked like he was asleep. Mm-hmm. He, he, was just, uh, he was just laying there and looked, looked like he was asleep. And uh, 
doctor said they were going to run some tests. They didn't know. They suspected some kind of bleeding in his brain. By this time, he'd been taken up upstairs into the uh, SICU. And, um, you know, they didn't know. We come back the next morning, and uh, I was half expecting to find him uh, sitting up eating breakfast or something, but he's he's still laying there, and the, uh, the neurosurgeon's waiting for us, and he says, you know, we should talk, which is a mm. second bad clue. Mm. And they uh, they take us into uh, into a conference room, and um, I thought they were going to tell us they were going to have to do surgery, they were going to have to operate, but instead the doctor looks across the table and just says, you know, Chris's condition has worsened overnight. This is death. And that was it. You know, and all, all of a sudden you, uh, the whole world, you know, it just goes upside down. And, uh, you know, nothing, nothing makes sense for, for a while. And, uh, it's just this fog descends on you. Um, but fortunately, shortly, it didn't take long. And they said, uh, you know, you might want to think about donating Chris's organs. So you're here. You know, you fly down from from Baltimore, and you're expecting mm-hmm. to to see some kind of minor issue that's going to be fixed, and he's going to be sitting up talking, you know, and then walking out in a couple of days, and you're posed with, you know, organ donation. I I, I can't even yeah. imagine. Hey, you know, we're we're expecting like physical therapy, speech therapy. Uh, you know, my my dad had had a stroke a few years before um and regrettably he didn't survive that episode um but i wasn't expecting that in chris's case because he was such a healthy kid and he took such good care of himself you know so i'm expecting you know physical therapy we might have to take him home we may have to take him out of school um they may have to have surgery I am not expecting someone to ask me to donate his organs. Mm-hmm. That is the last thing on my mind when we go to New Orleans that day. <clears throat> and, um, you know, so you, you find yourself in this very dark room. You find yourself in in, the, in this, you know, emotionally, and, and it just seems like you're confused and you can't find your way out. But, you know, really it's it's the donation the, the idea of the donation that sort of gives you a lifeline to hang on to. It's like you're in a very dark room, and all of a sudden there's this little pinhole of light that you can start walking towards, and it gives you something to sort of focus on as you as you go through the week because it's you know the process of donating is not necessarily easy. It's not and it's not a fast thing to go through. There's a lot of interviews and tests and 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 more tests and things that you have to go through. And and you think of time in, in a different way. It it's no longer two thirty in the afternoon on uh, March twenty seventh. Now it's like we just signed the release and it's, you know, then we have to do the apnea test. Then or then we have to do uh, this neurological exam. Then we have to do another neurological exam. Then we have to. Then we're going to say goodbye. And then we have to go home. And then we have to plan the funeral. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking in terms of days and hours and weeks and dates and calendars and clocks. Yeah. You're thinking of events in 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 the course of what you have to deal with now. Just the whole way that we measure time has changed mm-hmm. under these kind of circumstances. And so it's it's the the whole donation um, experience.
experience that you go through that at least gives you, it's like a life raft of some kind to hang on to uh, in the middle of a very difficult situation. And, and fortunately, you know, in your case, you know, in through that fog, you had had that conversation with Chris. So it was something that was much more clear to you. Uh, so that was at least the one, I, I guess, uh, small take back that, that you didn't have to struggle with a decision there. No, and, and uh, it was a no-brainer. I mean, it was simply a matter of validating what Chris had already said. It made the decision um, really simple. I suspect we would have done it ourselves um, just knowing that's the kind of guy he was, that Chris was a very generous person, and that's what he would have wanted. The fact that he told us really only made it that much um, less difficult to make the decision. Eric, when you started to write this book, how was it? Was it helpful for you during your grief to help alleviate some of the pain that you were going through? Or, or, or were you finding joy in writing the book to be able to share all this about your son? I don't know that I'll ever experience joy ever again in my life. Oh, my. But I can tell you that the process of writing the book, certainly, it gave me an outlet. I see. To um, sort of, you know, it gave me an outlet to let to let some of the emotion out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, just the process of meeting people and talking to people. You know, I, I can't, it, the whole idea of the book came about because as, as I met Nick and as I met the recipients, I the first question I wanted to know was, where were you when you got the call? Mm-hmm. And in Nick's case, he had been sent home that day and the doctor told him, you you know, I have no more options for you. And his doctor told his wife to start planning his funeral. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, you know, Jorge had been, um, he had got a, he had got one call in the afternoon and then been told he was number two on the list. Mm-hmm. And he got a call again later taking him all, and telling him that the person in front of him was going to accept the, the, mm-hmm. uh, the organ. And then he was going to go fishing. He was pretty much going to take himself off the list and and resign himself to whatever happened. But it, to him, it was more important to go spend time with his family than it was to hang around waiting for the phone to ring. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in Carolyn's case, she had been to see her doctor that day, the 27th, and she was leaving her doctor's appointment. She got out to the curb. The doctor's uh, assistant came running outside, told her to come back inside. She thought she left her purse in the, in the doctor's mm-hmm. office. Oh. And they said, no, you, you're you up. Oh, my. So as I asked these people, where, where were you when you got the call? And, and how were you feeling? And how was how were things? And they shared with me these experiences. I start to say, well, our family was doing this at that very same time. Mm-hmm. And what were we doing um, while, while they were living through their experience? What, were, what was our experience at the same moment? And then what was happening at Loyola with different, you know, the effect that it was having on Chris's friends mm-hmm. at school? And what was happening um, back home in Maryland uh, with people, you know, Chris's friends and family? What were they going through? And all these different pieces that were, you know, that were all yeah. coming together. And I just thought it made a compelling story. Um, and so the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And um, 
that's when I said, you know, if I can tell Chris's story, then I've done him a service. Uh, and hopefully the, uh, the rest of the transplant community um, a service right. because I certainly just, you know, but for, but for the miracle of donation, but for the miracle of organ donation, I'm, I'm just another grieving father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I have this, you know, I have this gift of of these other people mm-hmm. in in our lives that that Chris touched, that Chris saved them, and they don't forget him. That's right. And that means that, that the world won't forget him. And just this whole experience then sort of helped me get through the um, the past ten years mm-hmm. after losing my son. And Eric, what a great story and the way you laid it out. It was it was incredible. And you mentioned you. the miracle of donation. And it brings me back to the book when you say that. The miracles that took place. It's it's so funny. We talk about it and people talk it's it's almost like miracle is, is almost an overused term sometimes. And when you read the book, you realize the miracles that take place. You know, and and, and he mentioned Jorge. Uh, being second up on on the list, and and then having to get turned back because you know of course we always have to have a backup mm. in play, right. and and of right. course he decides you know he decides that pretty much he's going to take himself off the list, but what that did was allowed a dry run and created an efficiency like he he wasn't very close to his transplant center in Florida, or he, and right. and they were. Because they had gone through the motions before and had everything set up, he was able to then efficiently arrive on time, and that was the only way wow. he would have gotten been able to have that second chance. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Joey's been talking about the storytelling uh, behind this book, which sounds incredible. So it's called All My Tomorrow. So, Eric, where do we find it? You can find the book at wordassociationpublishers.com. And I highly encourage everyone who's listening uh, to buy the book and and read it. I can say I love to read uh, on the plane. Uh, If it's not our our own local work, oftentimes I like to read books, uh, especially about donation. And this was one that uh, I mentioned the the power and the passion and the emotion. You know, when the plane landed and I was almost finished reading it, I was – almost completely in tears and, and I was by myself of course yeah. and it's it's just one of those books that that you forget where you are you know and and you get wrapped up in the emotion it was uh, a fantastic book Eric I just want you to know how much that we appreciate hearing from you and we thank you Chris to begin with so much and you and your family for thinking of others and willing to share his story that others might um, find some inspiration or, or something to help them get through this, this difficult time also. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for saying so. Anything I, anything I can do anytime is uh, just to help y'all and help the cause. It's, uh, it's worthwhile. What y'all are doing is, is important work. And Eric, I know you're not done yet because Chris isn't done touching hearts uh, across the country, across the world, because... Um, you heard Joey's review of the book. We've been hearing that from folks outside the donation world, too. So beyond the book, um, we heard hints of maybe a movie. There is. Yeah. Yep. 
I can tell you that it, it came about when Conrad Hull met Jorge Bacardi. Mm -hmm. uh, Conrad is, um, you may, if you have ever seen the movie Man on Fire, mm -hmm. starring Denzel Washington, Dakota Fanning, Mickey Rourke, mm -hmm. Mark Anthony, great cast, great movie. But Conrad Hull is responsible for that. <clears throat> One day he meets Jorge, and just in a chance conversation, uh, Jorge starts to tell him the story of his transplant and his donor, and how he met his donor's family, us, um, and Conrad is in tears. And um, he says that's a story that deserves to be told in film. And so Jorge tells him, well, you need to meet Eric because Eric's making, or he's writing a book about the experience. And um, one thing led to another. And uh, my wife and I went out to Santa Fe and met with Conrad and um, had a nice, uh, had a nice uh, <clears throat> afternoon together. Then um, I went back and visited him and took a yet unfinished manuscript and left it with Conrad. <clears throat> And then I went back a third time and left him with a complete manuscript. And then he shared it with his brother, Lance, who, uh, who um, together they are Silver Lion Films. And nice. uh, they, um, they liked it. And so they wanted to proceed with the movie. And um, my understanding is that it is uh, casting presently. And it's expected to begin filming towards the end of this month. Wow. We were... I've been fortunate enough to see several editions of uh, of a screenplay, and the two things that um, I was most impressed with is that the great respect that that they are showing to Christopher, and the great respect they're showing to the process of donation, and I thought that was very important that mm -hmm. uh, that they respect Chris and they respect donation, and um, right now we're very pleased with uh, with the progress that they're making and um, we're optimistic it'll be a really uh, it'll be it'll be helpful to the to uh, to the cause as well yeah well you're gonna have to be back on the gifted life to tell us about that I'm sure you're gonna visit the set at the beginning of the interview you said Chris was a popular guy he is look at everybody he's touching yeah. it's just incredible Chris Gregory a hero Eric we appreciate you sharing your story uh, we appreciate you you writing that book and um, just putting donation on another level. We thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. What is personality? That's what we're talking about during today's Mental Health Minute. So who do we ask? Hmm, That's a what? great question. <laughs> oh, we have the... <laughs> Of course, the personality guru now. Okay, I like with it, us, Sally. Our very own Sally Gentry. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> what a personality you are. <laughs> yes, I am. Multiple. She wasn't looking at me, but for a joke. Okay. <laughs> All right. So a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, they have a great personality. Well, what does that truly mean? Well, actually, we're made up of thoughts, feelings, behaviors. And those are all three separate entities that make up our personality. By the time you're three to four years of age, 90% of your personality has been formed wow. and established. Now, it toddler. can change. That's right. A little bit. Um, it's an old toddler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I was going to think. I was thinking it. <laughs> what was I going to say? But your parents do mold and model different behaviors for you. Uh, and so it can be positive or negative reinforcement, uh, which we would hope it's more toward the positive than the negative. While there are many theories of personality, uh, most psychologists have kind of given up on explaining all this information because people, you know, you can only hear so much about, well, okay, so what is my personality about? So we talk about people who have a, the trait of openness. Um, it refers really to experiences in life. Uh, not necessarily you're just an open person, but you are open to various experiences, uh, literature, music, um, things like that, uh, an imagination. Like Lori. Oh. Okay. Uh, Is anybody worried and, I'm raising three and a four-year-old at home? Okay, thank you. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do think about that, but we're not yeah, saying anything right I'm now. I'm listening, okay? and I'm learning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we also look at people who are conscientious. Um, usually these folks are organized. They have a, a sense of duty. Uh, they're dependable, disciplined. Um, they're achievement-focused. Um, and usually they say that people who are the uh, conscientious, um, it's the best predictor of both personal and professional success. So there's something to think about. Um, Can we give examples of people that are popping into our heads? Well, or we're just going to keep that quiet. I do have they some probably, popping yeah. I'm writing it down. Okay. We also have the trait of extroversion. Now, sometimes this trait is referred to as surgency. And you might say, well, now, what does surgency mean? Tell me more. Well, it's people that have high levels of positive affect. Oh, you know, now, Lori, this might be you. Sociable, okay. fun loving. <gasps> oh, yeah. that's Joey over there. Oh, you got <laughs> one, <you>. Joe. <laughs> uh, talkative. There's you. What? <clears throat> she pointed to me, guys. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you all know introverts, they're, they're just the, almost the opposite, even though introverts are not necessarily shy. They're mm. just not into people that much. Okay. <laughs> So, Again, looking my way. I <laughs> I'm an extrovert. That I consider myself an extrovert, and I'm very shy. Well, and that's, see? And is that possible? Uh, not no, really. Just, no. Like I said, split personality. No. Uh, that's not going to work, okay? And another trait is agreeableness. Uh, and this really talks about the person's uh, warmth and just how they're kind towards others. Uh, as you know, we all like to work with agreeable people. Sometimes we're not always agreeable, and people go, ooh. But most of the time, people who are agreeable are much easier to get along with, needless to say, because otherwise you have people that are very suspicious or cold or hostile, this sort of thing. You didn't mention and, that we were agreeable. <laughs> Note the, taken. Note taken. <laughs> and the last trait okay. is neuroticism. You know, people who are neurotic, they worry a lot. Mm -hmm. They dwell on things that they really cannot have any control over, but they dwell on it. And also people who are neurotic for, you know, any of you that, and I'm sure you don't indulge in any of these, these kind of behaviors, uh -huh. but alcohol, drugs, tobacco, those sort of uh, things yeah. are, are, you know, Spices, if you're, yeah. yeah, it's just things that people use to try to ease their nerves. Uh, and, and I want you all to know, too. I'm not making any judgment calls on any of this, <laughs> so please don't take me <laughs> wrong. We're just all messing that. around, disclaimer. That's right. We're just having fun. <laughs> so just to sum all this up, uh, Raymond Cattell is a theorist from uh, back in the 50s, and he states that personality is that which permits a prediction of what a person will do in a given situation. So when you look around at your friends or your relatives and you go, mm -hmm, I think I know where this person's coming from. They will kind of fall into one of these five personality traits. So I there you go. I saw people in my head as you were talking. 
Yep. Each one. And then yeah, I'm like, am fit. I in this one or is my toe dipping in that one? I'm not <laughs> sure. Anyway, something to think about, something to talk That's about. Fun. That was fun. All right. Good. Thanks for the Thanks info, so. Sal. All right. More to come here on The Gifted Life. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Yes, in today's episode, that hero is Chris Gregory. And we'll hear about Chris from his dad, Eric. Chris Gregory believed in loyalty, believed in God. He believed in Mount St. Joe High School. He was generous. He was generous to a fault. If Chris had two dimes and you needed one, it was yours for the asking. Christopher was a uh, kind, compassionate individual. He cared about humanity. He was very comfortable in his own skin. He had a great sense of humor. He was very popular. And um, he made the world a better place by uh, just by being in it. And if you had Chris Gregory as a friend, you had a friend for life. And uh, his family, we miss him very much. And now we pause to say thank you to Chris for the gift of life. Here on The Gifted Life, we're always asking you to please share your stories, be part of the team, help us make life happen, and guess what? Oh, we got this wonderful phone call. You all are going to want to listen to this one. This is fantastic. (sighs) Quite a doozy, guys. Put your listening ears on. Here we go. Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate your podcast. I found out about non-directed living kidney donors through another podcast I was listening to, and then I went out in search of more information about uh, living donors and found your podcast. And I want to say it's really helped me with my decision to hear the stories of other people who have been living donors and how their um, recovery and their lifestyle has pretty much to return to normal. So that really helped me with my decision. I'm actually scheduled on May 2nd here in California, UCLA, to donate my kidney. And it will be headed out towards uh, your area to Florida for somebody. I haven't received any more information about the recipient yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really excited to be able to help somebody out. And I want to thank you for your podcast. So after listening to this, Our producer has made contact with Jennifer to wish her well um, and that our team is planning on connecting with her in another episode to find out how everything went. Well, you just have to. You have to follow up. Yeah, absolutely. But that was the main reason we started the podcast was to get people talking, to get people sharing, to inspire, go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. That's right. She literally went out the door and did that. She did. Oh, my gosh. So she um, was saying surgery was in May. And so we, we, we try to keep up. Um, with folks and, and um, of course, share that with you because we want to spur those healthy conversations. I'm so happy that that happened. And, and just think, people helping one another in, in a way that, you know, it hasn't been that long ago that no one would really, well, most people would not even thought about yeah. doing something to help a stranger like that. How cool. Making life happen, making yes, the world indeed. a better place. Yes. Uh, maybe you have something you want to share with us, info at lopa.org. We also have the hotline, which is what Jennifer used. Yes. All right, everybody. Listen, write this down and please give us a call. 504-648-3477. And 
And that'll do it for episode 84 of The Gifted Life. Yes, what an episode. Yeah. Eric Gregory showing the passion. Of course, it came through in the interview itself, but especially sharing the book and sharing Chris with us. And I'm looking forward, and I think probably y'all are too, to seeing the movie. Can't wait. So hearing, be in it. Yeah, hearing about the book, <laughs> right? Can yeah. you imagine um, the movie? So uh, oh. that is coming up, something we'll uh, keep you up to date on. And look, that's what he did for his healing journey. He wrote a yeah. book. Um, it's turned into a movie. Um, so what are you doing out there? We you know, would like to know. So be a part of our team. Help us make life happen. One person can make a difference. We are proving that here on The Gifted Life. And we want you to go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen because you can do it. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Carraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 